This is HPR episode 2112 entitled, My Old Home Server. It is hosted by Mr. X and is about 16 minutes long. The summary is, a show about my old home server. This episode of HPR is brought to you by anhonesthost.com. Get 15% discount on all shared hosting with the offer code HPR15. That's HPR15. Better web hosting that's honest and fair at anhonesthost.com. Welcome, Hacker Public Radio audience. My name is Mr. X. Welcome to my 15th HPR podcast. Today's show is going to be about my old trusty home server, how I came by it, what I use it for, and finally how I use it now, at its uncertain future. But before I continue, I'd like to start by thanking the people at HPR for making all this possible. I would never have pulled my first podcast together without them making this service available. It's truly a wonderful and invaluable resource on these heat intertubes. If you have something interesting or some bursting passion, why not share it with the rest of us? It really isn't that hard, and even if you only manage one show, that's fine and great. But who knows, you might even go on to enjoy the challenge and produce more shows. If I can do it, anyone can. My old server is a slightly unusual piece of hardware. It's a compact iPack desktop computer, not to be confused with the iPack Windows CE PDA device. It's a vertical freestanding device about 13 inches high by 5 inches wide by 8.5 inches deep. I always think it looks a bit like a fan heater with this big grill along the top. I think they're fairly rare as it's the only one I've ever come across. According to Wikipedia, the iPack desktop personal computer in its various incarnations was as a legacy-free PC produced by the Compaq Computer Corporation around the year 2000. The Compaq iPack was primarily designed to be a portable desktop computer that can be used as a simple internet-capable computer. The iPack had very few limitations in upgradability. Hard drives, RAM, CPU and multi-bay drives can readily be interchanged although the iPack did not contain sockets for expansion cards. It featured an interchangeable multi-bay slot that could accept 3.5-inch LS Super Disk Drive, the only way to read a floppy disk. Standard multi-bay floppy drives did not work. Optical drives or secondary hard drives devices could be connected this way. The slot was the same as those found on many Compaq Amada and many other HP Compaq laptop computer systems. By method of convection, 
for cooling, these computers are commonly found in office environments due to their low noise output. The iPad can run on either an Intel Pentium 3 processor or an Intel Celeron processor, ranging from 500MHz to 1GHz, processor in a PGA370 socket. The internal RAM is upgradable to 512MB of 100MHz, or 168-pin SDR-SD RAM. Due to the RAM limits of the Intel 815 series chipset, the bias in the iPack prevents the system from booting if there is more than 512MB installed, instructing the user to decrease the amount of RAM in the system to no more than 512MB. The first version came in two different models. Legacy Free, which is the one I have, had no parallel, serial or PS2 ports, and instead three additional USB ports on the back. And the additional one, which included the parallel, serial and PS2 ports, but only had USB ports on the front. The second version had different styling and had a backpack which added the legacy ports. iPack desktop computers were typically sold with Windows 98 or Windows 2000 already installed. When I bought mine I was looking for a custom built headless server. Something not too noisy, not too heavy in power, and the compact iPack fitted the bill nicely. I have a mains plug in power meter and from memory I think the server used about 25 watts when idling, which isn't bad. I bought mine an amateur radio rally in Blackpool. The general idea I had was to build a headless server that could be controlled remotely. My intention was to use it to download and play podcasts. A snag I came across early on was that there was a bug or oversight in the BIOS which requires a keyboard be connected in order for the computer to boot. This was overcome by fitting a small PS2 to USB converter cable which fooled the BIOS into thinking a keyboard and mouse was attached. This was my first headless server and I initially found it frustrating not knowing what it was doing. For one thing, I'd run into problems if I tried to connect to it too early in the boot sequence before the screen session was up and running. At switch on the server emitted a beep. And that's when I got the idea to use the Linux beep command to let me know what was going on. With the beep command, you can control how long each beep is and the frequency. I discovered that the server had a tremendously loud PC speaker, which meant it could be heard all over the house, and in fact it worked far better than I expected. I tended to switch it on when I first came in from work, and then turned it off just before going to bed. After switch on, the server emitted four beeps to signal that the server was fully up, with a detached screen session running, ready for remote login. The server then waits 10 minutes and signals with an ascending scale that the podcast downloads are beginning. This gave me plenty of time to log in and cancel downloads if required. At this time, my internet speed was very poor and it took quite some time for the podcast to download. When my podcast finally downloaded, the server signalled this by emitting a descending scale. From time to time, I would run rsync backups 
on various directories on my server. At the time, I thought it might be good to have some idea how far along a backup was, so this again was signalled with the beep command. The number of beeps indicated how many directories were left to sync. completion of the backup was signalled by six loud beeps. Again, this could be heard all over the house. I made it easy to know what was going on and when the backup was complete. Finally, at the end of the night, the server was turned off to save electricity. Getting an operating system on it could have proved very difficult as when I bought it, I didn't realise it didn't include a CD-ROM drive. And worse still, it had a special compact multi-bay CD drive bay, which would not support normal CD-ROM drives. This could have been a disaster, but luckily at the time, I happened to have a compact laptop, which used the same multi-bay drive. I just pulled out the drive and shoved it into the iPack, allowing me to install anything I liked. At a much later date, my old trusty compact laptop failed. I retained the CD-ROM drive and a memory module, both of which ended up in the server. The first OS I installed on it was Ubuntu Server Edition, but I couldn't get sound to work. I then discovered that the sound wasn't included in the Server Edition. I think the Server Edition used a different kernel which had no sound support. At this point I gave up and installed Ubuntu LTS and ran it as a headless server. I upgraded the internal drive twice. I'm not sure, but I think from memory it came with a 60GB internal drive. I initially installed 120GB for more breathing room. This went smooth enough and then later upgraded it for a massive 500GB hard drive. Both times I used the excellent open source software Clonezilla. When I was thinking about upgrading the second time, I was concerned the server wouldn't handle a 500GB drive. When I looked into the BIOS, it certainly didn't support 500GB drives. Luckily, Linux came to the rescue yet again, reviving a piece of equipment that would be consigned to the bucket, using other well-known operating systems. After some investigation, I discovered that Linux bypasses the BIOS, and so hard drive size wasn't a problem, or so I thought. I cloned the hard drive and resized it to fit the larger disk. All the fine details are lost in the mists of time, but from my imperfect recollection, the server no longer booted and gave me an obscure error about geometry of disk. After much head-scratching and research, I realised that, that during the early stages of boot, the bias needs to have access to the root boot folder, which is part of the root partition. This had now moved further up the disk and was not visible to the poor old bias. I finally got the thing working again by creating a new boot partition and placing it at the beginning of the disk. This was all a bit hairy and by this point the server had been running a number of years with lots of changes to it and the thought of rebuilding it filled me with dread. Over the years I've gone through numerous Ubuntu LTS upgrades without reinstalling and I'm still running this today.
Everything was fine until Zubuntu started using Pulse Audio. The sound started playing up. I had to be very careful not to disturb the volume control, as this would break the audio. Eventually, though, one of the LTS upgrades did completely break the audio. Luckily, this was about the time the Raspberry Pi became available, and this has now largely taken over from my Compaq iPad server. It's now only switched on occasionally to download my podcast feeds. My podcast client of choice is HPodder. I badly covered this client in a recent podcast, and as I mentioned before, I chose this for the single reason that it was able to import my large existing collection of podcast feeds from iPodder. Next, I had to decide what I was going to use to play my downloaded podcasts. I stumbled upon the excellent audio player Mock that I still use to this day. I think I have it installed on every machine in the house. The package name on Debian system is Mock, but confusingly the command to run it is MockP. I believe MockP M-O-C-P stands for Music on the Console Player. It's absolutely fantastic, it's super lightweight, has loads of features and works flawlessly on the Raspberry Pi. It can be controlled from a really nice intuitive InCurses GUI, which is super easy to navigate. One of the many great features is, is that you can close the GUI at any time and the sound server continues playing. Mock can also be controlled from the command line, allowing endless scripting possibilities. I could go on much more about this wonderful player, as I just can't praise it enough. If I get a chance, I'll cover it in more detail in a later podcast. While downloading and playing podcasts was the main use for the server, I put it to other uses as time went on. I added Samba so that an old second-hand internet radio I purchased could play music from it, as radio was able to access Windows shares. My cheap second-hand internet radio eventually stopped working on Wi-Fi, and so I gave it to my mother, who's still using it today, having it hooked up directly to her router. This was impractical for me due to its position in the house. By this point, I had become rather fond of having an internet radio, so I went out and bought a rather expensive Roberts internet radio. There was no denying the quality of the new radio. However, it didn't work with Windows shares and instead used UPnP. I solved this by installing MediaToom, which is a UPnP media server, which allowed me to stream audio to my new Roberts internet radio. I think MediaToom worked more or less out of the box, with very little fiddling. I don't tend to do this now, as my old server is used so little. I did toy with the idea of using my downstairs Raspberry Pi to stream music, as it has the excellent Kodi media player on it, which usefully includes a UPnP server option. I tried this, but although my internet radio could see it, and even start playing a track, seconds later the radio would crash. So I very quickly gave up on that idea. Over time I also used my server as a print server, allowing me to print from multiple devices around the house, though now my printer is attached directly to my PC. As I've mentioned before, the future of my old trusty server is now uncertain as my Raspberry Pi has mostly done away with the need for this server and it's only turned on occasionally to download my podcast feeds. I'll need to decide its future soon as it's running a pretty old Ubuntu LTS version. 
and I think is due to expire sometime early next year. I'm rather attached to the old thing, and will miss it if I decide to retire it. I think the longer you keep something, the more it shows you value it. I have a feeling it's time hasn't passed just yet. Okay, that's about it for this podcast. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Remember, as I said earlier, if you have an interesting story or passion, why not share it with the rest of us? There's a vast community for you out there. Give your bum and give us a show. I'm sure we'd all find it interesting. If you want to contact me, I can be contacted at mrx at hpr at googlemail.com That's mrx at hpr the at symbol googlemail.com So until next time, thank you and goodbye. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.